We will talk about another, uh, as we just sang about the mystery of Christ, we'll uh, look at another mystery of Christ uh, this morning, which is marriage um, and how it is a picture of Christ's love uh, for his church. Uh, if you'd like to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, uh, we'll look at verses 22 through 33. Uh, this is one of those sections of Scripture that we could spend a month on, six weeks on, um, because it's helpful for us as a church, not just for those who are married, uh, to know how do we operate in marriage, but also those of you who are single and the role that you have with the people who are married. Uh, also, the children that are here. Um, it's important for all of us uh, to understand what is marriage. Um, and uh, I will not this morning give you any uh, secret sauce that you can go out with and you can say, now I got it. Marriage is going to be easy <laughs> because it is not easy. <laughs> it is hard and it is work. And this is one of the reasons uh, why we have marriage is because it's really refining to us as people. Uh, C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and uh, stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. And you know that jobs need to be done. So you're not really surprised. But uh, then he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out uh, a new wing here, putting an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into uh, a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace. And he intends to come in and live in it himself. Uh, and God uses marriage as one of these refining things. As we've talked about over the last several weeks, the beginning of Ephesians talks about the mystery of the gospel. What has God done for people? And then four through six is really the application of that. And uh, Paul talks about three, um, three areas where he applies this specifically. And this first one is marriage, and then he talks about uh, parent and children, and then he talks about work. Um, and he talks about these because he's already talked about uh, our identity comes from Christ. This is the foundation for marriage. This is the foundation for parenting. This is the foundation for work and what we devote our lives to. So the first part of Ephesians talks about um, how does it mean to uh, walk in, in Christ, uh, and then this section talks about what does it mean as we are in Christ, what does it mean then to live in relationship with people? And what does that look like? Uh, this passage on marriage uh, flows from verse 21, which is uh, a verse right before uh, our, the section that I'll read. And it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then out of that... He begins talking about these three categories, husband and wife, parent and children, and working. Now let me read uh, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning of verse 22. 
Wives, submit, your, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in every, everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Uh, my own experience in life uh, is when I read this, I get like, because <laughs> it's hard. And I realize uh, my own plan, my own thought of, well, I think marriage might be better this way. And, uh, but as someone who sees that Scripture is God, God's Word, it is, uh, it's me being refined and seeing this is how God has laid this out. And it wasn't as, it wasn't as if God uh, sat and thought, okay, now, now marriage, let me try to figure out what that should look like. Uh, we see here that it's patterned after Christ and the church. Uh, so it is... Uh, it, 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 marriage has its roots and foundation in a proper understanding of the gospel. Uh, one thing that is happening through Ephesians is Paul is trying to remind uh, the people in Ephesus uh, of what is their, who is their first love supposed to be. And you might know in, uh, in the gospels in Mark chapter 12, Jesus is asked, uh, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord thy God with your, all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so what Paul, uh, what, what Jesus gives us is this uh, um, vertical love and this horizontal love. And we have to keep them in proper order. But what's happened because of the fall and our sin is that we have reversed them. And we constantly try to reverse them and think, uh, if, I, if I really want a good marriage, if I want good friendships, what I need to do is love those people more than I love anything else, and I will sacrifice anything for them. And then I will begin to understand God's love for me. And we reverse them. What redemption does is it puts them back in their proper order. Loving God and loving your neighbor. And if you're married, uh, your neighbor is your spouse. That is the first neighbor you have. The closest neighbor to your life is your spouse, your husband or your wife. 
This order, uh, loving God and then loving our neighbor, is vital to our um, understanding of the institution of marriage. Uh, If you are married, uh, you may have gone through a phase in your marriage where you really think that this person is going to give you ultimate peace and rest and joy. Can you hear me? Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Tobin. Um, if you'd like to help with sound, too, we're looking for volunteers. We did not plan that as a selling point either. We get to be up front. You get to be clapped for. It's a big deal. And so, um, so the, and the husband looks over at his wife, and she's just smiling really big. And he's like, why are you smiling? And he's like, she goes, we haven't been out together at night for 20 years. I thought, it is sad. Lisa Hooper. <laughs> um, I thought that was funny. Anyway. Um, okay, so re- redemption reverses the curse. Reverses uh, how many times we would like to view our relationships where uh, we love horizontally and then it gives us a better understanding and foundation than to love uh, vertically. Uh, that is the curse Uh, What redemption does is it puts us back in the proper order that we're called to love God and then love our neighbors. Um, Marriage is a picture of union with Christ. Marriage is a picture of, of Christ loving his bride. As we look at this passage, I want to start at the end. And uh, verse 32 says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Uh, Paul has been unfolding this mystery. When uh, we think of uh, redemption and salvation, our tendency maybe uh, is to to talk about it in uh, strict theological language. Where we can, you know, someone says, what is, what is the salvation that you Christians talk about? And you say, well, it's justification, sanctification, glorification, Christ is in all this for us. It's this uh, legal exchange. Um, and then we think, like, we've covered it. Uh, imagine if a husband is asked, uh, tell me about this marriage thing that's going on between you and your wife. What is it? And how's it going? And he responds, well, it's going really well. Uh, we have this piece of paper that proves our marriage. Proves we're married, and we haven't done anything against it, and we still have it. We hold on to it, and it's great. And obviously, every wife who would overhear that would be shocked. Um, But imagine the husband is caught up in the drama of marriage, and he says, you know, if someone asks, how's your marriage? And he says, I love my wife. She has gripped my heart. I desire to pursue her. I am learning so much from her. It is such a wonderful thing to work through life with this woman. That's the drama of marriage. It's a drama of redemption. Uh, Marriage is something that should capture our heart. Just like uh, salvation in Christ is something we want to capture our heart, not just logical categories. And marriage is something that captures your heart. Christ is the focal point of history and the reference point for all of our relationships. 
Husbands uh, find in Christ their model for sacrificial, loving, strong, tender headship. While wives uh, find in the church's submission to Christ a model for intelligent, gracious, powerful, respectful submission. So what hinders growth in marriage? Uh, Sin. It's really simple. Uh, Sin, our own selfishness. And it usually has some form of, of taking out of order the love God and love your neighbor. And we move that, and we, we think that uh, since we're married, uh, all of these holes of loneliness and lack of peace and, and anxiety and uh, fear, all, they're all going to be gone because now you're married. Uh, it's not so. And those of you who've been married, you, you know that. Um, but sometimes in our struggles in marriage, uh, we fear being too uh, maybe liberal with an understanding of marriage, but there's, which is true, uh, but we also can fear being too conservative than the Bible is about marriage. And we take these categories of wives, uh, be submissive to your husbands, husbands, uh, love your wives, and we put these strict parameters on them. And we make submission look unbiblical and sinful, And we put love and headship in a place that is unbiblical and sinful. And those are the two callings in this passage. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. This is a complementarian view of marriage. That God has made husbands to fill a role in marriage and God has made wives to fill a role in marriage. Nothing to do with value. Nothing to do with intelligence. Nothing to do with the way you're gifted. It is because this is a picture of Christ and the church. So first, I want to look at what these things are not, and then we'll look at what they are. So what is a submission? Uh, What is it not? Submission does not mean that wives agree with everything her husband says. Submission does not mean that wives uh, check their brain at the wedding altar. Submission does not mean that wives avoid changing their husbands. Uh, 1 Peter 3.1 says, Husbands may be won by the conduct of their wives. Submission does not mean putting the will of the husband before the will of God. Submission does not mean that the wife is to act out of fear. So what is Uh, Submission is the joyful work of a wife walking in faithfulness to Christ in support of her husband. It's the wife modeling the gospel to her husband. The command to husbands is, husband, love your wives. And what is this not? Um, Loving your wife is not a synonym for control. Loving your wife is not about her fulfilling your personal desires. Loving your wife is not about your comfort. Husbands, loving your wives means that you sacrifice as Christ has done for the church. It's a joyful work of sacrificing for the good of your wife. 
wives submitting to your husbands uh, as, uh, so as he depends on Christ more. Hus- husbands, lead your wife in a way that your wife will depend on Christ more. Uh, I think it would be good and really hard for us to ask, our, ask someone else uh, two questions. And if you're married, ask, take some time to sit down and figure out if you are willing to hear the answer to this question or these questions. Uh, if you're not married, find someone who's close to you, who you know will be very honest and straightforward with you. And ask them, what is it like to be married to you? And then ask them another question. What is it like, what do they think it is like to be you? Those are really hard questions. And we took attendance today so we know if you're here and we know if you're going to ask those. What is it like to be married to you? And what do you think it is like to be you? Your life is not valued uh, based on uh, that if you are in this institution of marriage or not. It's not based on your status uh, of that. Your value as a person is because you are made in God's image. And if you trust in Christ, you are a child of God and he will never leave you. And if you are married, you have been put in this place. And your spouse is yours. Um, Marriage is a gift. Marriage should remind us that our strength and our rest and our peace and our joy and our value come from Christ, not from the person you married. Uh, Ray Ortland, in a book called Marriage and the Mystery of the Gospel, he writes, the most remarkable thing about marriage today is not that it can be uh, troubled, but that we still have this privilege at all. When God justly expelled us from the Garden of Eden, he did not take back this gift. He let us keep this, his priceless gift, though we sometimes misuse it. But what every married couple needs to know is that their marriage is a remnant of Eden. This is why every marriage is worth working at worth fighting for. A marriage filled with hope in God is nothing less than an afterglow of the Garden of Eden, radiant with hope until perfection is finally restored. Uh, Your marriage is a glow of Eden, is a remnant of the Garden of Eden. Uh, It's really hard, though, Uh, but that's what it is. You, if you... Uh, being married, you have someone who has devoted their life to you and who knows you probably closer than anybody else in this world. As the church submits to Christ, we understand the love of Christ for his bride, and we wiggle and we squirm squirm under our calling to, to walk in obedience and to believe this truth that we are God's. But we rest in this never-ending, always and forever love. As Christ guides the church by his grace and love, Christ is glorified and the church is glorified.
So why are the roles in marriage important? Because marriage is a picture of the drama of the gospel. Christ's sacrificial love for his beautiful, submissive bride, the church. Uh, in my years of being in ministry, um, when I've sat down with married couples, I have never, ever sat down with a, uh, a, a wife and she uh, complains about her husband if her husband is loving her sacrificially and caring for her and seeing her value and reminding her of her beauty, of her intellect, of her grace, and of her understanding of things. Never, ever, ever. Uh, I've never sat down with a woman who struggles to submit to a husband who wants to see his wife flourish and grow. Never. Christina Fox summarizes the deep connection marriage has with the drama of the gospel. And she writes, The purpose of marriage is to reflect the gospel. The husband's call to lead um, and the wife's call to submit reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. The unique roles that men and women have in marriage serve as a living message of the gospel. The husband models the love that Christ portrayed in laying down his life for the church. And the wife then models the church's submission to her bridegroom, the church's trust and respect. Uh, relationships are one of the avenues where, uh, as human beings, we're refined. Because we, can, we begin to realize that um, our inner thoughts might not be all perfectly correct. And we do have a level of things that are just called opinions. And to be around people that have other opinions is a wonderful thing. And that's a wonderful part of marriage. That you have married someone who is not like you. They will answer differently. They will think differently. They will challenge the way that you think. They will place value on different things. They'll be loved in a different way. It is a wonderful thing. But it's also refining. And that's what makes it wonderful. Um, I think the more that we spend with people asking good questions and listening to them and seeing people made in the image of God, um, we will begin to grow more spiritually and understand the gospel and God's goodness and mercy that he has placed in your life someone who is drastically different than you. That is a wonderful thing. Whether you are married or single or a child, um, uh, strong marriages are extremely valuable. And you, as someone who is single, you have a significant role uh, in the lives of us married people. Because you see things differently because of your life experience than we do. So it's not as if if you are married and you need some help, uh, it's not as if you need to go find someone who's been married for 20 years. Uh, it might be the person sitting next to you. And you just say, hey, can we just spend time together? And I'd like to watch you and just ask some questions. 
figure out how they work through uh, the struggles in marriage. Um, I, was, I heard of a counselor who they have this pattern of every seven days they get a date night together, husband and wife. I know some of you are already shocked. What? That is crazy. It gets worse, okay? Every seven days they get a date night. Every seven weeks they get an overnight away. And every seven months they take a week together. What's your first thought? Crazy, logistical, they don't have any kids. They do have kids. But what they've said is this is so valuable that we're going to carve out time for this. And so when I brought up all the community group leaders, uh, if you are in a community group and there is a family who needs a date night desperately, I hope you can find that in your community group. I hope you can find someone that says, hey, I'll, I'll take your kids. Yeah, drop them off. Maybe they'll even take them overnight for you. It is hard. It is work. Uh, you may end up going on a date night and just fighting the whole time because you have not spent time together in months. But it is valuable for you to have time together. And I say this as someone in our marriage that we carve out as best as we can a weekly date night. And it gets expensive. And we carve out time away together, and it gets expensive. But it is valuable, and it is important. And if you don't have anyone to watch your kids, I haven't talked to my wife about this, we'll watch them for you, okay? Uh, I, I mean that seriously, too. Uh, this is a part of being in a church and being in a community. Uh, if you need something, uh, we want to do whatever we can to help you. And so uh, marriage is significant. The roles of husband and wife are uh, significant and valuable. And I encourage you to spend time together and to ask each other good questions. What is it like to be married to you? What is it like? What do, you, what do they think it's like to be you? What do they think the, the struggles that you have in your life? Because it's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of God's love for his church. And what we also, this morning, get to partake in is the Lord's Supper. We get to see this uh, sign and seal of God's love for his people. So I want you to pray with me as we uh, prepare our hearts to come and uh, get, be nourished by this table. <clears throat> Lord God, we have gathered before you this morning to hear your word, to sing what is true, to confess our sin, to hear the promise of your forgiveness.